Romans chapter 15, we will begin in verse 1, and we will read down through verse number 13. And this is kind of the concluding section that began in chapter 14 on Paul's instruction on how we are to live together in this community of faith. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive you one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, For this cause I will confess to to thee among the Gentiles, and sing unto thy name. And again, he says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with His people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and laud Him, all you people. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In Him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for these words of comfort and encouragement and consolation. Thank you, Lord, that these things were written before time for our learning and instruction that we, through comfort and hope of the Scriptures, might have hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray now, Lord, that you would bless us with grace to preach and grace to hear. In Christ's name, amen. So what is the driving purpose of your life? What is the passion that drives you? What do you live for? There were a lot of athletes this weekend who were living for glory on the field. The glory of the gridiron. The glory of the World Series. There were artists on stage singing for their own glory, many of them. But you were designed for a greater glory than that. You were designed for a glory that's greater than the one that mere mortals can provide. There's something about us in the way that we are made, in the likeness of our Creator, which needs glory, recognition, praise, fame, or renown. And when humanity is living in the lie, the lie from Genesis 3, that we can be gods, then they will always be seeking their own glory and not a greater glory. 
Examples abound of this. We see this all the time, don't we? Uh, when we say we, we come here to glorify God and to seek God's glory, sometimes those phrases, because they're old, can lose a little meaning. But when you look at how the world is seeking glory, all you've got to do is look there, don't you, to see that everybody's seeking glory. Some kind of glory somewhere. And many of us seek our own glory, but those who know Christ, we are seeking His glory. That's why we're here. We're seeking His glory through the way that He has prescribed for us to find it. Through the preaching of the Word. Through the worship of the saints gathered together. Psalms 19.1 Glory to God in the highest. I'm sorry, that's Luke 2.9. Glory to God in the highest. Psalms 19.1 The heavens declare the glory of God. We learn from Jesus that the flowers in the field are more glorious than Solomon's clothing. And in Psalm 73, 24, it says, You shall guide me with your counsel. That's what's going on today right here. You shall guide me with your counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. So we, of those who are called out of self-seeking glory, are seeking a greater glory than any that we could ever have attained. A glory that we were adopted into and called into by sheer mercy and grace. And so what is your driving passion and your chief end? If you're in Christ, you will be seeking His glory. It's a glory that we have seen by faith. And as we've seen as we've been going through Romans, the just shall live by faith. And that faith is what binds us together in community around the risen Christ. That faith is what connects us to Him as we are in union with Christ. And we want to live in such a way that everybody can see that glory. Isn't that what the... Great Commission is, is that we have a desire that everybody would see the glory on the whole earth of Jesus Christ. And so here today we're seeking His glory again through His instruction. And in this section of Romans, He's telling us how we are to live together. This is the practical part. All began back in Romans 12 where He says, I beseech you by these mercies that have been poured out on you and rescuing you from wrath that you present your bodies, everything that you are, your mind, your spirit, all of who you are, you present that as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And as we do that, we will receive one another, and we will love one another, and we won't judge one another, and we won't let non-essential things tear up the fellowship of Christ. And that's what we have been learning through this section. But the chief end of everything is what? The glory of God. And you can see that even in the text today. If you take a look at verse 6, that you may with one mind and one mouth do what? Glorify God even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And then if you look at verse 9, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And all this rejoicing in verse 10, and lauding and praising in 10, 11, and 12, this escalation, this crescendo that Paul rises to as he quotes scripture after scripture is all for the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And so our main proposition today is this. Your purpose in Christ is to show the world by how you live that Christ is your treasure, that they might believe in His name. And how we feed this passion in our hearts is first by Scripture. As you see here, as he's pointing out to us, the Scriptures were written for our learning. We see it's by sacrifice as we lay down our own liberty at times and desires to serve one another as Christ set the example for us. And it's by grace, by benediction, and by blessings that we are able to live with passion and purpose. And so first, let's just look at these, this verse here, verse 4. Now I know we could, you could preach on this every Sunday just about because every, it's talking about every part of Scripture. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. I read this morning, one pastor said this, Those are the most learned that are the most mighty in the Scriptures. Those are the most learned that are the most mighty in the Scriptures. And here we learn that we have to learn this. These Scriptures were written for our learning, for our teaching, for our instruction. This is a miracle that you have in your, in your hands today if you have a Bible. There have been periods of time in church history where they did not have a copy of the Scriptures. I read in underground churches in China where they will take a Bible and they'll tear it up into separate books and give every one of the members in the congregation one of the books of the Bible so when some of them get arrested, they don't lose the whole Scriptures because they know someone's going to get arrested. And the Scriptures are precious to them And we live at a time where how many Bibles do you have in your house? We have access to Bibles on our phones. We got access on our phones and these devices today to a treasure of church history and preaching and writing to help us understand the Scriptures. But we should always mainly be spending our time in the Scripture and meditation in the Scripture. These Scriptures were given for our teaching instruction so that we might have patience. That we might have patience and hope. Through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. That we might have steadfastness, constancy, Endurance. The hope proposed here is that the scriptures that that it's through the scriptures that we have hope of eternal life. 
mean, constantly hope is being held out to you through our society in different ways. But these are all little hopes. This is a big hope. Isn't that right? This is the grand hope. The hope of resurrection from the dead. It always happens that every few months I see that in science articles, you know, the pop-up that people are having their bodies frozen, you know, out in Arizona. Because they hope science will one day be able to resurrect their bodies. And they've got a misplaced hope, don't they? But we got a sure and steadfast hope that we will rise from the dead. So Christ's purpose in you is the glory of the Father and you're hoping in Him, showing to the world that your passion, that your treasure is Christ. And this spiritual union that you have with Christ will be seen. And it will grow. Your understanding will grow as you give time to the Scriptures. There's nothing more important in your life, men, women, and children, that you are grounded in the Scriptures. I looked it up yesterday. There are 304,000 books published each year in the United States. Print books. There are some 690 million print books sold in 2019. That's a lot of books, isn't it? It's a lot of communicating going on. It's a lot of people made in God's image who have the ability to speak little words or doing a lot of communicating. And a lot of those books are designed to try to get you to hope in something that they want you to hope in that's not Christ. Or to distract you from eternal realities. And there's a lot of good books that are published. There are a lot of good books that are published. But these Books are packaged and sold to millions for people that are searching for purpose. Everybody is looking for purpose. Everybody is looking at a place where they can place their hope, their love, their passion, where they won't be disappointed. The Purpose Driven Life. That's the title of one of those books. That's kind of alluring, isn't it? Ooh, that sounds good. These books sweep through society, and that book is written by a so-called Christian pastor. And yet when you read the book, you can just look to the table of contents of that book, and it's I, 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 I. I've seen this over and over in the workplace. I've seen it again here recently. Last week, there were several people going to a John Maxwell uh, speaking tour that was going on here in Atlanta, and Coca-Cola would pay for anybody that wanted to go to that last Friday. Now, I first saw this man, John Maxwell, come onto the scene about 25 years ago when he started writing books. He's a Methodist on biblical principles of leadership. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Until you start seeing that he's selling the Bible and removing the gospel 
so that people can achieve health, wealth, prosperity, and happiness. It's the health and wealth gospel, essentially. John Maxwell was a disciple of Robert Schuller. If you don't know about him, you can look that up. He was a prosperity gospel preacher. This week I was handed a book by a professing Christian and said, this is Christian-based. And I'm telling you this as an illustration of why you need to be grounded in the truth. And men, you're going to have, you're going to, have to read books if you're in business today. I know that. But I'm just trying to make sure that you understand the Scriptures must be the lens by which you read any book. Okay? This book that was handed to me was a man that came out of Detroit inner city. And he's climbed the realm of success. He's now a multimillionaire and he goes around telling everybody uh, how to find their inner purpose. The name of his book, whenever she handed it to me, I just looked at the title and I hope that you're so grounded in the Scriptures that if somebody hands you a book that says, You owe you, and that's the title of the book, that red flags go off. Especially when they hand it to you and they say, This is Christian-based, and then the title is You owe you. What do you owe you? Paul says we owe a debt of love to each other. And the Scriptures tell us that we owe a debt we can never pay. And that Christ paid that debt. And that all I have now, I owe to Him, not me. These books are the exact opposite of Christ's teaching. And this man, Eric Thomas, Ph.D., in the introduction says, You are the only one who can change your life. When you hear something like that, does that allure you? Or do you immediately say, no. Christ has already changed my life. I can't change it. Michael Jordan has a caption on the back of the book. And Chris Paul and other famous athletes, Deion Sanders. Michael Jordan said this, Eric's vision will transform your perception about your mind and your heart. His words are a gift to people on a path of purpose. You owe you is full of insight and guidance for those seeking their inner selves. So what is your passion? What is your glory? Lost people are professing Christians who are not grounded in the Scriptures, these Scriptures that were written to give us comfort and hope and everlasting life, if you're not grounded in the truth, you're sitting ducks for this bubble gum of the mind that won't satisfy. It's a manipulation of people to buy their books so they can keep getting richer. That's my opinion on that. How many people make it out of common humanity to become millionaires and billionaires? And they're teaching that everybody can do that. That's just not true. And so we have spent five years in Romans so far. (laughs) And we have spent years in women's book studies and men's book studies and Wednesday night studies to ground you in the truth. So when somebody hands you a book like that, 
You say, I don't got time for this. I got something better. Thank you very much. My bookshelf is full. I got a book on it already that satisfies me. Or, as I was counseled yesterday, yesterday <laughs> to do is to say, could we have coffee and just talk about that book a little bit? You said this was Christian-based. Could, could we just talk about that a little bit? What, what made you say this book is Christian-based? I went through the book to try to find a text. The very last three words of the book are ma- quoted Matthew 5.44. At the end... And so I'm just emphasizing how important the scriptures are here. And in context, Paul, in giving you this teaching about how to love each other, how to receive each other, how to overlook each other's failures and faults, is the only way you can do this through the scriptures. Because there are some ornery, thorny folks in the church, right? You're going to need the scriptures to be able to love them. You're going to need the Scriptures. You're going to need to pray and meditate over that and say, God, help me to love this person. Help me to be more focused on serving others. Every day we got to get up and read the Scriptures because overnight we collapse back in on self-absorption and we wake up in the morning and... I've heard one pastor say, I've got the devil sitting on my chest and I've got to get up and just pray to get out of bed. The scriptures are how you stir your heart every day so that you're not just self-absorbed and focused all the time. And so that you can love others the way we're being instructed here to love. So that you can show to other people the glory of God. We were talking about this yesterday too. You know, Peter says, you are to always be ready to give an answer to every person who asks you of the hope that is in you. What answer are you going to have if you're not grounded in the Scriptures? And the other aspect of that is why are they asking you? They're not going to ask you if they can't see that you've got a hope that's a bigger hope than the one they got. When they look at you and you see that you've you've got a hope in something and there's something different about you and the way you behave and act and love, they're going to come ask you, what's the reason for the hope that you have? And then you can tell them. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. They're going to notice that if you're living that way. And you will live that way if you're in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you're going to be seeking to be more and more grounded in the Scriptures. Paul would even say to the church, if anyone speaks, let them speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let them do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So in every way that we speak... Let us speak in such a way that He might be glorified.
Because there are many selling books that call them Christian-based or Scripture-based. That There was one, The Purpose Driven Life. I told that one already. There's one called Experiencing God came out, was popular. Millions of Christians bought those books. There's one that swept through the business place a few years ago called The Secret. You want to sell a book and sell millions of copies? Call it The Secret. I want, I want to find out what The Secret is. Brothers and sisters... You have the secret. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And there are many who Jesus said in Mark 7, 7, in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And they will always be here. And Satan has many prophets who call themselves Christians. Or that will use the Bible any way they can so that you'll buy their books. So I ask you, what are you reading? What are you listening to? Is it helping to ground you in the Scriptures and in your hope, in the hope of Christ? If you're not getting patience and comfort and hope from the Scriptures, you're not looking at it right. There's a great pastor and counselor said, our problem is not that we do not have what we need in the Bible. That's not the problem. He said, but that we don't have enough of the Bible in us, which we need. He also said, if you are inadequate in some way, you feel like you're inadequate. There's just something missing. It's not because the Bible is inadequate. But it's because you don't know your Bible adequately. Isn't that a great way of putting that? If you're inadequate, it's not because the Bible is inadequate. It's because you don't know the Bible adequately. That's one you can write in front of your Bible and let that stir your heart. I did. (laughs) Praise God for preachers who can come up with sentences like that. And so these... Scriptures are teaching us about how to live together in unity for the glory of God. So that they can see this is, we're called into a community that's going to be here forever. A kingdom that lasts forever. And so Paul will come back to his original instruction here at the top of chapter 15, which is in verse 7. Wherefore, receive you one another. That's where he started in 14.1. Wherefore receive you one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And I talked a little bit about how Christ is the example of receiving there. I want to spend some more time on that. To receive one another as Christ received us requires us to sacrifice our self-interest and our bent towards self-absorption and strong opinions and being judgmental. We have to sacrifice all of that and love one another. How did Christ receive? How did He receive? We are to receive one another in order that Christ gets glory. Receive one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Mark 9, 37. Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So when we receive Christ, we're not just receiving Christ, but the one who sent Christ, God the Father.
How did Christ receive? John 6, 37. All the Father gives me will do what? Come to me. And the ones who come to me, I will by no means... So how does Christ receive? He receives them and He doesn't cast them out. Now there are some who will come who will cast themselves out. By their own behavior, their own action, those that go out from us that are not among us. But we, like Christ, receive them and love them the best we can. If they remove themselves, we can't do anything about that. But we love and we receive as Christ received us. Jesus said in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give you. What's that new commandment that He gave us? That you love one another as I have loved you. Woo! That's a pretty high standard. That we love one another like Christ loved us. That's tough, isn't it? But we receive one another as Christ received us. Like the Father receives them. And you'll have joy in your life when you do that. What happens in heaven when one sinner repents? In Luke 15. There's joy in heaven. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one, just one sinner that repents more than 99 just persons who needed no repentance. How do we receive sinners? With joy. Praise God. Hallelujah. You brought another one in. And so in our sacrificing and not pleasing ourselves to please our brothers and sisters, there is a there is a joy in doing that that we receive. A joy as we rejoice so that we can receive one another and show forth the glory of God. Even back in Romans 15 it says, "For even Christ pleased not Himself, in verse 3 and 4 of this chapter, pleased not Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. These scriptures are daily under attack. These scriptures are the example that we have on how to receive each other. These scriptures are the model where we see Christ and how He received us. And it gives us an example of all of that. We've got to be like Paul in 1 Corinthians 9.20. He said, unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without laws, without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. There is a passion in Paul's life to receive sinners, to do everything he could, to become all things to all men, to all people in such a way as to not be offensive. And if there is any offense, let it be the word of truth. 
Because the Word is offensive to our flesh. And those that are in Christ love to have it so. We need the Word to offend the flesh so that we, we might beat it down and repent so that we can love one another and receive one another in this community of faith. Paul's one passion, he has this desire for Christ's glory to receive sinners. We are to be like that, that we may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That verse 6 there, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, the only way there can be union in a body is to be unified around the Scriptures. That's why we've got to be diligent in the Scriptures. That you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God. It gives God glory when people who are under this curse of sin can be involved in a fellowship together and it doesn't fall apart. we got too many examples of it, places where it does fall apart. And that's why it's so important that all of us search the Scriptures daily and that we try everything by the Word of Truth. How do you compete with 5K televisions and 4D, 5D, 6D, 3D, whatever, movies... And, and sound systems and entertainment and things that are all designed to stimulate and draw you in. How does black words on white paper compete with that? Well, it does. It overcomes by the power of the Holy Spirit. He wrote these words. These words are from another realm. And those who have the Spirit, these words come alive and feed your soul so that you are satisfied with this. And then you can sit down and and watch a good movie through the lens of Scripture. And after it's over, you talk about it. That's easy to do with mystery and cop shows, isn't it? Because somebody always gets killed. And you talk about, why do they get killed? Because of the sin nature, depravity. Wickedness, evil. And why do we desire to see people get justice? Because we're made in God's image. We desire to see justice in the world. And we that have received justice, oh, blessed be His name. So we with one mind and one mouth glorify God is only possible if we are aligned on the Scriptures. We are all grounded in the Scriptures. And in verse 9, Paul is getting to the main end and purpose of this, is the glory of God throughout the whole world. He says there, that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, Paul, setting the example, he just said the Scriptures are written for our learning. He's going to quote Scripture, 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 while he's writing what? Scripture. That the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, for this cause. What cause? 
I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name the glory of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, he says, he's, he's quoting another scripture there. And again, he says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, he quotes from Psalm 117, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah, he's quoting Isaiah, There shall be a root of Jesse. And he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Can you praise God that he decided that God had a plan to move outside the Jewish nation so that you could have hope of eternal life? And so we receive one another because he received us when we were polluted in our own blood. He didn't receive us when we were good. He had mercy on us. And that's why we come here. Because God's mercies have won our hearts. By the mercies of God, we come as living sacrifices. He paid with His own lifeblood to receive us so that we would receive each other, so that we would give money to other people. I've heard stories of those people who come along and they retire from their business of providing and raising a family, and then they sell everything and go to Africa or go to India because they want to show to the world, my goal wasn't American retirement. My goal is the passion of the Great Commission that these Gentiles in these verses here would hear about Christ and praise Him and worship Him. And then Paul, as a good pastor, has more than one benediction throughout this whole section. Look at verse 6. That's a benediction, really. He's praying that for you. The Holy Spirit is praying that for you. That you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God the Father. Paul would say this over and over again throughout his writings. The 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. He would say it again in Philippians 1, 27. Only yet your way of living be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Hear how, you're, hear how you are living with one another. That you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's what we're called to do here. Strive together for the faith of the gospel. And he would say it again in the next chapter of Philippians. You fulfill my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. And again and again, it's like be like-minded. Have compassion on one another. Love is brethren. And that shows the glory of Christ. Because only He could do that. Isn't that right? By transforming us and changing us. And through what He's doing here, other Gentiles might hear and glorify God. That's our one purpose and one passion that the Gentiles... More and more Gentiles, as it was written and promised, the Gentiles will hear. A people who have never heard of me, as soon as they hear me, will serve me. He says in one place over there in Psalms. Anyway, we can contribute to that 
This is the mission that we have and the passion here is that we spread a passion for Christ among all peoples, for their joy in Africa, in India, in the Philippines. I'm so grateful to get to hear Brother Guna come again this month and talk about what Christ is doing in India as He's calling out more and more Gentiles into this fellowship of receiving one another as Christ received us. That we might with one mind and one mouth, regardless of our cultural differences, regardless of all of those non-essential differences, one mind, one mouth, glorifying King Jesus. Hallelujah! That was the prayer for us too, that Christ prayed. Paul has another benediction there in Romans 15, 13. Right at the end of this section we read today. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. It's not outside of believing. It's in believing. That you may abound in hope. The purpose of all this is that you might be so filled with hope that it's full and overflowing. Again, that people would see that and come ask you, where do you get your hope in an age of COVID and inflation and totalitarianism and the spread of Marxism and wickedness? In an age when 80% of all babies born in one particular community in this nation will not have a dad in the house. And 40 to 50% of all children born in this nation will not have a dad in the house. How are you going to overcome that? How are we going to stop that? By grounding ourselves and our families in the Scriptures. By the mercy and grace of Christ. And by these blessings that Paul is praying for you right here. And that the Holy Spirit is interceding for you, that the God of hope would fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you would abound in hope, be overflowing with hope, that you would refuse to let the naysayers and the doctrines of devils get into your life, your family, in any way whatsoever because you're grounded in the hope, grounded in the Scriptures. For this was that prayer that Christ prayed for us in John 17, 11. We'll close with this. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. You are still in the world, brothers and sisters. And I am come to you, Holy Father. And here was this prayer for you. Keep through your own name those whom you have given me. Are you in Christ? That, you, that they may be one, like-minded, one mouth, receiving one another. They may be one as we are. We are. That's Trinitarian oneness. That's a glorious oneness. That is the eternal hope, is oneness and a peace that passes understanding forever and ever and ever. And he said that again in verse 21 of John 17, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, 
And here's the purpose that I've been talking to you about right here. This is the purpose Christ prayed for. That the world may believe that you did send me. Hallelujah. That is happening. And that will happen by your life and by your testimony. As you grow, raise, and pray, and live for the glory of Christ, there is an effect that is having on the world that we will see manifest one day in its entirety. May God bless His Word, and may we be enabled to live that way.